Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. I want to share, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Passion, uh, Mel Gibson, obviously this is, it's been around for quite a while. I remember the first time I watched it, it was incredibly powerful, incredibly moving. Now I know that it's not, Jesus probably didn't look like that and there's, you can argue all the, but there was something uh, quite powerful about the movie. And one of the scenes I love is right at the end, uh, you'll see when Jesus is on the cross um, and, and he's positioned between two thieves. Now, we know this story uh, where Jesus is, has been beaten, he's been spat on, he's been mocked, uh, he's had these kangaroo courts of a, of a trial, uh, he's whipped to the point of basically dying, and then he has to carry his own cross, and, and he gets there, and then he's nailed to this cross, and, and obviously the, the images there are quite graphic. And, he, and he's nailed between two other thieves, quite common thieves. I'm not sure, I think the thing around his neck there is... Maybe what he stole or, or, or something, I'm not too sure there, but two thieves who actually did a crime and are, are paying uh, uh, the, the punishment or the price for their crime, they're on a cross as well. Now, if you know your Bible, if you know the story, uh, there's one uh, thief next to Jesus who's not in this picture, and he starts mocking Jesus and saying to Jesus, Jesus, if, if you're so great, if you're the Messiah, if you're the one who did all these miracles and you're, you're who you say you are, then why don't you get us down from this, this cross? Why don't you get yourself down? You're, you're, you're just fake, Jesus. And he starts mocking Jesus while Jesus is up on this cross. Uh, help me, Jesus. You know, if you're so good, prove that you, you are who you say you are. And we know there's a bit of mocking going around the cross on the ground as well. And, and, and people are saying, come on, Jesus, you saved others, but you can't save yourself. And, and there's, there's one really profound statement that Jesus makes. He says, he says to the Father, God, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Man, I don't think I'd be saying that. I'd be saying, Father, turn them into stone or something. Make, make lightning fall on their heads. But he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And as this, 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 this other thief is mocking Jesus, this guy, uh, who is not the real person in, in the Bible, he's only an actor, but he, he says... To the other thief, he kind of stands up for Jesus and says, you, you idiot, we deserve to be here. You did a crime, you deserve to be here. We, we, we've actually done something wrong. This guy, he's done nothing wrong. And he says out to Jesus, he says, Jesus, Jesus, please remember me when you, you come into your kingdom. And it's really, really powerful on, on lots of levels. One, because we know that Jesus then turns to him and says, today, today you will be in paradise with me. It's just like this guy hasn't known God or Jesus or anything, uh, but right when he desperately needs him, right when he's nailed to the cross as well, he, at the point where he's about to die, he, he, he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, I believe you are who you are. You've got your own kingdom. Remember me. And Jesus says, today you'll be in paradise. And I was thinking about this, and, and there's all the, the kind of theological explanations, but you know what? I think that that there, that story, that encounter shows that Jesus was people-focused. Right to the point where he's on the cross. 
Like, seriously, if he's got an excuse not to be bothered right now, it's there. I've just been whipped to the point of death. Just let me die in peace. I'm in a bit of pain right now, mate. But he doesn't. He doesn't do any of that. He says, today, today you will be in paradise with me. You see, Jesus is people-focused. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, Jesus is also task-orientated. You know how we kind of have those surveys or those personality tests, are you people-focused or task-orientated? And, you know, some people, I don't know who said this, uh, some, some scholar said that uh, the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. And maybe that's how you feel about people. But, but whether you're task-orientated or people-focused, Jesus was task-orientated as well because that was his main task, wasn't it? His main task was to go to the cross, and, and he did not sway from that, uh, even to the point where one of his own disciples, Peter, said, no, you're not going to do this. He says, get behind me. You're working for the enemy. Get behind me, Satan. So yes, Jesus was task-orientated. He had a task to do. He got a job done, but he was, even that was people-focused. Even the reason he was doing that was for people. So Jesus, we see, is, is people-focused. He's not about the institution. He doesn't care about the institution. In fact, one of his main criticisms of the religious leaders of the day was the fact that they were institutionalised almost, that they didn't care about people. And he said to the religious leaders and the Pharisees, you guys are just focused on, on yourself and on keeping this, this good-looking picture, but you don't look for people. You don't care for the marginalised. You you're, you're oblivious to what's going on around you. You need to be people-focused. And in fact, why, what was the number one criticism the religious leaders had of Jesus? What was the number one criticism? It was who he would what? Hang out with. It was the fact that he would spend time with people. They hated it. And Jesus says, you're making it hard. You're making it hard for people to get close to God. You need to be people focused. People focused. Hey, look at this passage here. You probably know this, this story. This is Jesus telling a parable in, in Luke chapter 15. He says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Look at their complaint. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Again, to eat with someone meant that you're on the same level, basically. When you ate with someone in their culture, you're saying we are, we are, we are the same. We belong together. And these, these religious leaders are saying, he hangs out with sinners, he eats with them. It's like he thinks you know, on the same level. Why? Because Jesus is people-focused. And then it goes on, and you probably know this parable quite well. Jesus hears them and he says this. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 to, in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Joyfully putting a sheep on your shoulder. Has anyone joyfully put a sheep on their shoulder before? Uh, a few people. Did you enjoy it? Was it, was it joyful? Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. But Jesus said he joyfully puts a sheep on his shoulder. Where am I? I've lost my line. Uh, 99, joyfully. And when he finds it, joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. He then, so so he's got the, he's saved it. He's found that lost sheep. He then calls his friends and his neighbours together and he says, rejoice with me. Celebrate, he says. I found my lost sheep. What are we going to eat? We'll cook up the sheep that you just... No. 
I tell you that in some, the same way, uh, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, you can get into you know, theological discussions, or what about the 99? Who's looking after them? The, I, I think we missed the point. The point that Jesus is making with this parable is, is that people matter. The individual matters. That we need to be people-focused. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. We're focusing on that. We're in this series, or this theme for our, our 2021 is goodness. Developing a culture of goodness. And we see that Jesus was focused and that a goodness culture, a goodness culture seeks to to uh, become like Jesus, Christ-like. And if we follow Christ's example, we focus on people instead of institutions. We focus on people instead of institutions. And so this morning, we continue looking at that. We continue looking at this, this culture of goodness. And we've covered different things from justice and truth, and uh, a goodness culture has justice, a goodness culture speaks truth. A goodness cho- a culture is Christ-like, it's endeavouring to be more like Jesus. There is compassion and empathy, and this morning, and in fact, you could almost say that the combination of all that means we are people-focused. But a culture of goodness, a church that is, is endeavouring to, to, to show goodness, to live goodness, would be people-focused, would look... T- to, to help people, to support people, but to put people almost, I don't want to say necessary first, because sometimes when we, we have that mindset of, oh, the customer's always right. No, sometimes the customer is wrong, and there needs to be truth in love, justice in love, but we want to be people-focused. Every decision we make should be thinking, well, how is this going to affect people? Any conversation, we want to be people-focused. Uh, when, when we are not people-focused, uh, we treat people, let me read you this, when we fail, sorry, when we're not people-focused, we fail to treat all people as God's image-bearers, which strikes at the heart of the Christian faith. So, so when, I, when I think of uh, a culture that doesn't value people or doesn't put people first, we see this being outplayed in different ways. Here's a picture up here. Uh, I don't know if anyone was around when these adverts were out and about, but this is an example of profits over people. This, the tobacco industry. Most doctors smoke camel uh, than any other cigarette, maybe because they're the most healthiest. But, okay, maybe they didn't know about the dangers of smoking. You can go onto uh, Google and you can uh, research this. This is it's astonishing. This was in 1994 there, and they've had other Congress meetings before. These are tobacco CEOs of large tobacco companies, and they, they, they all say nicotine is not addictive. Just flat out say nicotine is not addictive. There was actually another one in 2000, I think, and they say the same thing. Why? Profits over people. They're going to say it. They don't, they don't believe that. They know that's not the case. They're going to lie. They're going to cheat. They're going to deceive because it's profits over people. Here's another example of something over being people-focused. That's profits over people-focused. This one here is the institution over people. And this, one is, this one's horrible. Horrible. Royal Commission recommends sweeping reforms for Catholic Church to end child abuse. This is in Australia. And we know from the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Abuse, and it wasn't just the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church has had, uh, lots of churches have had uh, these um, things happen. But 
predominantly, we see time and time again, the Catholic Church would sweep these things under the carpet. Why? To protect the institution over people. To make the, the survivor feel like they had done something wrong because they're bringing shame to the institution. Protecting the image of the church and the perpetrator. Uh, from 1980 to 2015, four and a half thousand people. Four and a half thousand people. Now, they're the only ones that came forward. The most most uh, studies reckon it's probably three or four times that. Uh, four and a half thousand people reported allegations of child sexual abuse due to Catholic authorities. 2,000 Catholic leaders, around 2,000 Catholic leaders, uh, allegations of abuse over a thousand separate institutions. Uh, check this out. In total, nearly 8% of Catholic priests in Australia between 1950 and 2010 were accused of child sexual abuse. Now, I'm not doing this to beat up on, on, on the Catholic Church, but this is just an example in our own backyard of, of, of choosing the institution over being people-focused. And this is a no-brainer, surely. This, is a, this would be what you would kind of see as a clear one, wouldn't you? That someone has been sexually abused. Wouldn't it be people-focused to care for that person? And so this is when it's really clear. Imagine when it gets kind of grey and hard. We, we, we drop the ball when it's clear. So, so that's, a, that's an example of the institution over people or not being people-focused. Here's, here's how I kind of summarise this. The church that is people-focused will resist the notion, the concept or the belief of the church primarily being an institution. The church is not primarily an institution. We are what? We are people. We are a gathered people. We are a collected people. We're, we're individuals coming together. That is the church. The church is people. It's not an institution to protect, but people. Uh, um, here's a passage here from Peter. First <clears throat> Peter 2, 9, it says, But you are cho a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So much in here that we could unpack. A people. Here it is. We are a people of his own possession. That is Christ that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So we're God's people, we're not an institution, not God's institution, we are God's people. Uh, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we are a people, and we, as Christians, we want to follow Jesus' example to be people-focused. If we aren't people-focused, then we're not, we're not living the way that Jesus lived. We're not living the way he calls us to live. So how do we do that? How do we, we want to have a culture of goodness, having a culture of goodness means we are people focused. How do we do that? Well, we're going to look at five ways that we can be people focused or, or help us to grow in this area. Now, these five points come from a book, Scott McKnight, uh, Tove, it's called The Culture of Goodness. So I've kind of stolen his points and changed it 10%. Um, so it's, but I'm still acknowledging it. So the first point is this, we treat people as people. This seems like a pretty easy point, isn't it? We treat people as people, but the thing is we don't. We don't treat people as people. Now, we, again, we can turn on the TV and see what's going around the world and, and we see actually some people getting treated like animals. And in fact, that we shouldn't treat animals like that. But we see that happening to people, don't we? And, and sometimes we can treat people not as people. We don't want to treat people as numbers, 
We don't want to treat people as, as prophets. We don't want to treat people as tasks or a box to tick. I've got a job to do. I'm just going to get through this. We don't want to treat people as something to step over to get to something else. We want to treat people as people. Look at Jesus' words here, showing everything. Uh, do to others what you would have them do to you. For This sums up the law and the prophet. What is this often referred to as? The golden, golden rule, yeah? There's probably a little bit more to that, but I think this is a pretty good start. I, I like how the New American Standard Bible puts it. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. What is this saying? It's saying treat people as people. Not as animals, not as something less inferior than you, but as, as people. And I think this, this, this also goes to the heart of uh, when we treat, we're, all, we're human. We're all human. We've all got shared experiences. Uh, we, we know what it's like to live on this, this, this planet. And so know people's stories. Know people, people have names. Now people have histories. People have stories. People, uh, some people are doing really well. Uh, some people aren't doing very well. Uh, some people are recovering from uh, that church abuse that we, we, we just mentioned. Some people have had a great experience in church. Some people have had surgeries. Some people have had sicknesses. Some people are having surgery. Some people are sick. Some people are aging. Some people are young. People are rich, poor, and everywhere in between. Some are wounded, some are healing, some are unemployed, some have great jobs, some need encouragement, some need to be encouragers. But that's human. That's what it means to be human. And so we treat people as people. Second point is this, we invite and connect others into community, belonging is basically what I'm saying there. But we want to, if we have a culture of goodness, if we are people-focused, we want to be the ones initiating. We invite people, we connect people into this community, into our community, and we say, you belong here. There's belonging in this community. Everyone wants to belong. Now, even if you say, I don't want to belong. No, you do. Disagree. Everyone wants to belong somewhere. Everyone wants to, to, to feel valued. You can't say, oh, I don't want to belong, I don't want to feel valued, I love it, feeling like I'm worth nothing. It's just not true. It's, it, we are human and, and therefore we need to belong. We need to feel valued. The heart of people in a, in a, a goodness culture church would be a place of belonging, where they can feel uh, that they're involved, that they're invited, that they're allowed to connect into a community. Now, it doesn't mean you're you go to every event or you're at, you go to every person's house, but you, you, there's a sense of belonging when you walk through the door, you know people, you, you don't feel judged. You, there's, yeah, it's your community, it's your people. There's belonging. I can remember, uh, I don't know if you've ever felt like you haven't belonged. Maybe that's the question. Have you ever felt in a situation or a place, maybe when you're growing up or even now, you just felt like you don't belong? You just don't belong. I remember uh, years ago, this is good, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I, I was doing, actually it was longer than that, um, <clears throat> I was doing some recreation studies uh, at Balga Police 
and Citizens Youth, Youth Club, PCYC. I don't even know if they've got them anymore. Do they have them? But anyway, I was doing this, this uh, course there. It was great. And, and they had this, this gym, this fitness centre, below the, the actual compound itself. I call it a compound because that's what it looked like. It looked like a compound. And, and it was like an old school, like it was something out of a Russian movie. Uh, like there was this, this weight room was dusty and dirty. And I'm like, I can't wait to get in there and smell and sweat. And, and they had all these old school weights. And, and so I go into this, into this gym downstairs and uh, they said you can use it. And I get there and there's, there's 15, around about 15 Maori uh, rugby players, and these guys are huge. And, and, and I walk in, and, and, and they looked at me like, okay, I had a white town, a pink drink bottle, fair enough. <laughs> and they looked at me like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Uh, I, I felt like I didn't belong, and I start to, started to do a bit of a workout, and, and they looked over, and they're like, we haven't had lunch yet. You'd be a good source of protein. You, you, need to, you need to get out here. And I just didn't. Now, I, they may have, may have been good people, but I did not belong in that weight room with those 15 rugby players. I didn't belong. And I felt it. And I was out of there. I was out of there. Now, maybe you felt like that in other situations. Maybe you felt like that here. And if you have, I apologise. I, I, I apologise because that's not our intention. We want this place to be a place of belonging. We want you to be invited and connected into community here. Look at this quote here, because belonging is so important. To belong means also to be human, to, to be people-focused. Uh, Dr. Kenneth, I can't remember what his specialty was. I think it might have been psychology. A sense of belonging appears to be a basic human need, as basic as food and shelter. See that? It's, it's, belonging is, is, is a core of what it means to be human or what it means to live, as basic as food and shelter. In fact, social support may be one of the uh, critical elements distinguishing those who remain healthy from those who become ill. To be people-focused means we invite and connect others into this community, to, to be a place of belonging. How do you do that? How can you do that? Thinking now, how can you invite people into this community? How can you connect people into this community? How do you connect them into this current? Maybe it's having them over for a meal. Maybe it's doing a workout with 15 Maori rugby players at Belga PCYC. How do you connect with them? How do you invite them and say, you belong? A good way is to have them over to your house. Actually, there's been a lot of research done where if you invite someone to your house, something happens. There's an exchange, again, of that kind of, you belong. We're on the same level. Look at this passage here in Ephesians. I think this is an interesting passage. Ephesians 2.19 says, Consequently, uh, the context here is everything that Jesus has done for you. The fact that Jesus died on the cross, consequently, because of that, you are no longer foreigners. Because Jesus died and, and, and restored our relationship with God, the Father, and with each other, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Now, why do, I, why do I bring this verse up? Because we, we, we shouldn't be foreigners or strangers, especially in the church. Hands up if you were, were not born in Australia. Did I ask that question right? <laughs> Hands up if you weren't born in Australia, but you are born here. No, <laughs> I was trying to be confusing there. Straight, hands straight up if you were not born in Australia. Okay, quite. No, nice and straight. Wow, hands up if you were born in Australia. 
Ah, okay, so about 60-40, maybe 70-35, not that my math's great either. So quite a few people were not born in Australia, so you know what it's like, maybe, depending on your age, what it's like to, to feel like a foreigner or a stranger. If you've been to a foreign country, like I, last year or the year before, we went to Bali, and, and it's, you know, there's motorbikes and, and bartering, and it's, you feel you, you're a foreigner. You don't belong. And so, so but, but the Bible says that those who are in Christ, guess what? We're not foreigners. We're not strangers. We belong. We belong. You belong. Or I belong. Why? Because I belong to Jesus. You belong because you belong to Jesus. Um, and that's why it should be in the church. And we haven't always got that right. But that's our goal. That's what we're striving for. That in Jesus, we are no longer foreigners, no longer strangers. Uh, there's a deep sense of placement, a deep sense of belonging. You belong here. And it's not just unique to Lakeside. Every church has that. You're going to find, and again, you're not going to necessarily connect in every church. And I think that's okay. You kind of gravitate to a mission or where God calls you or where you feel comfortable in regards to maybe culture. And it's not to say that Kingdom City or Riverview or Mount Pleasant or Red Door are bad or wrong. No, they're great churches. And people get to connect and belong there. And if you come here, you get to connect and belong here. You belong, why? Because you belong to Jesus. Again, how do you do that? How are you going to do that this week? How are you going to invite and connect someone into community. And maybe, maybe, maybe you have been coming a while and you've been resisting. Maybe these lakeside people have been kind of getting you to connect and you've been resisting it. I'd say let go. Step into it. Because then you can fully experience community. Um, yeah, coffee, lunch, whatever, how you decide to do it. When we look at that Ephesian passage, right at the end, obviously we see foreigners, strangers and citizens. But then it says God's people and also members of his household. What is a household? Family. It's a family, yeah. And so, so what that is saying is, okay, we treat people like people. We invite and connect people into community so there's belonging. But also, our third point is this, we treat people like siblings. This could go either way, this point. <laughs> if you see the way my kids treat each other, you'd be like, whoa. I've... People focus? That ain't people focused. At the moment. At the moment. No, it's fine. It's good. It's no problems. There's some rope burns and, and <laughs> stabbing, but that's okay. The number one, the, if you look through the New Testament... The number one word or phrase used for the church in connecting or talking about the church isn't the word church, it's actually brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. Time and time again, you look through it, you'll see this term, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. And so this is the thing. We need to begin to see each other and treat each other as brothers and sisters. Now, let me just say, not all of us have healthy experiences when it comes to our siblings. You know, maybe our relationships with our siblings, yeah, it's okay, but it's just surface. Uh, maybe our relationships with our uh, siblings is horrible and toxic. And I get that. But what this is talking about is, is a healthy household. A healthy household. And so inside a healthy household, with a healthy relationship with, with siblings, what do we see? A healthy family environment. Siblings care for one another. 
care for one another. And you know what? It's what, what is quite interesting? There's, there's a bond between family members, even when it may not be a healthy relationship. You, see, you hear stories where, where brothers and sisters or sister and sisters, the relationship wasn't great. In fact, it probably was maybe really bad, but when push came to shove, you see one of them care for them if they got sick. You know, like there's that family bond. But again, we're talking about the, a healthy family, family environment. Siblings care for each other. They look out for one another. They protect one another. They believe one another. They trust one another. They see the good and the bad in each other. Sometimes they point out the bad more than the good. But they see the good and the bad in each other, and guess what? They still love each other. They still love each other. And so what, that's what it is. To be people-focused, we treat people like siblings. We treat. Now, why do we do all this? Why do we treat people uh, like people? Why do we invite them into community and belonging? Why do we treat them like si- siblings? Well, actually, that Bible verse which we had up in the video is the main reason. We recognise all people as made in the image of God. We're not just a blob. We're not just a created, we're not even, we're not an accident. We have been created, every single human has been created in, in God's image, which is incredible. That's why you have, everyone has value and worth. Don't let anyone say you don't have value and worth, because it's just not true. And because you've been created, you've been created, so you need to have self-worth, but you then also need to value and, and, and respect others because they've been created in God's image. That's why God initially, he fully despises murder he, he, it, because it, it's taking someone's life, but also that life has been created in what? In his image. Look at this passage here, Genesis, right at the beginning. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And again, that's a theologically rich concept. What does it mean to be created in God's image? It means to be human. That's what it means. Animals weren't created in God's image. We were. It means we're human. It means we treat people like people. That's what it means. It means we treat people with respect and dignity because they've been created in God's image. Human life matters. You are valued because you've been creating God's image. You are not an accident. Look at this quote here by Scott McKnight. He says this, Here is why we treat people as people and not as giving units. Each person we meet is designed by God to look like Christ. As such, we are to give everyone profound respect and honour for who they are. Even if this is, I love this, because this is true for everyone. This is true even for Mark McGowan with his 90% popularity rating right now. As, as such, we are to give everyone profound respect and honour for who they are, even if the image of God in them had been tarnished or, or painted over by sinful choices. Seeing people in light of them being created in the image of God means we see them always in light of their potential, not just their present sinful condition, because we all are. So we respect everyone because they've been created in God's image. I heard a story about a group of thieves, and I think it was in France or Paris, where it was. They broke into a jewelry store. Now, they were very, very particular how they did it. They didn't make a mess. They were really made sure everything was neat and tidy. They got in, and they didn't steal anything. 
they actually changed the prices on all the jewellery. And so the really expensive jewellery, they put the prices on the really cheap jewellery. And the really cheap jewellery, they took the prices and put that on the really expensive jewellery. And, and they made it all neat, and so no one would even notice. And in fact, when the store owners and the people, the workers came there in the morning, they didn't even notice they'd been broken into. And they started selling stuff. And so people were buying absolute junk for mega prices. And some people, this is great, was, was buying like, stuff that was, they couldn't afford, but it was really cheap because of the price tag. And they got away with this. I don't know how long it took uh, for them to find out, but eventually they did find out. Was, oh, my gosh. But they switched the price. The value was different. You know, the world has said this, uh, uh, has switched the tags and actually says this is what valuable looks like. You have to look this way. You have to have this type of job. You have to drive this type of car. If you're not like this, then you're not, you have no worth and value. We'll put the cheap tag on you. But God says, no, you've been created in my image. You have immense value. You have immense worth. And therefore, we should be treating people in, in line with that, in, in response to that. People are valued uh, because they're valued by God. You know, as, as, and we do it, don't we? We value people by the way they look. Or we value people by what they can do even. We, we, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. God created them and therefore we should uh, re- respectfully engage them, connect with them, treat them as people. Uh, I don't know if this is a good illustration, but I'll put it in there. I was trying to think of something that we can, an application of this. You know when you buy something and you look at where it's made? Where is it made? Well, yeah, most things. But you're not. Oh, maybe, unless you're Chinese. Maybe you are. Uh, but there. That's, firstly, oh, do you get it? You get the illustration? So firstly, that's on you somewhere. You're made in God's image. And we, we need to remember that everyone's got this on them somewhere, or it's on their foot or, or somewhere. They're made in God's image. So when you see someone, look, oh, he's made in God's image, made in God's image, made in God's image, made in God's image. Remember that. That's their tag. Before you get angry, before you think, oh, this person's... This. No, they're made in God's image. Ah, oh, they're a work in progress, but they're made in God's image. And the last point is this... Develop Jesus-like eyes for people. It always comes back to be like Jesus, doesn't it? If we want to be people-focused, we, we want to have eyes like Jesus. Jesus was people-focused, absolutely. If, again, if you read through the Gospels, you'll see this phrase used. Uh, the, the phrase is, Jesus saw them, or Jesus saw them, or Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their, their, their anguish. See, Jesus saw their suffering. Jesus was looking, wasn't he? And so we want to have eyes like Jesus. Jesus saw past people's outward appearances. Generally, we just look at the outward. Little Italian board, slightly chunky. We look at the outward. Jesus didn't look at the outward. It's the heart. And, and again, if we're honest, we do that. It's almost sub, We just do it subconsciously. We want to try to push through that. Maybe, Maybe... One of the things I try to do is sometimes when I'm walking around or I go to a shopping centre, I'm not waiting for anyone when I go to the shopping centre. I just go to the shopping centre. Sometimes I am waiting for someone. But when I go to the shopping centre and I'm waiting, 
I watch people walk around and you just, oh, sometimes you, you almost can start crying because you look and say, I wonder what their story is. That person is a brother or a sister or has got a parents. I wonder what that's like. See them, see them as human, as people. That's, the, that's what Jesus had. Jesus, Jesus had eyes like that. He would notice the marginalised. He would notice the, the, the people on the fringe. He saw individuals, even when there was a majority of people. Now, one of the things I can do is I can get task-orientated too much, and, I, and you walk past people. Jesus somehow balanced the tasks and, and the people. And so we want to develop the, those types of kind of lens or glasses, you could say. This verse here is uh, Jesus. He called his disciples together and he says, guys, come here. I've got something to share with you. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Now, I can imagine the disciples when they heard Jesus say this, this is new. Jesus has got something new to share with us, a new, and it's a command, which means I, I'm instructed to do it. Wow, this is going to be good. I wonder what it is. He's done some pretty awesome things. Walked on water and water the wine. That was a great one. This new commandment, I wonder what it's going to be. And then Jesus tells him this, that you love one another as I have loved you. And he says it again, that you also love one another. And then he says, actually, if you do this, people will know that you're part of my household. He says, if you do this, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. And he says it again, if you want love one another, if you have love for one another. This is a basically three times. Now, I see this as, if, as being people-focused because when you love someone, you're people-focused. Now, the disciples, when they heard this, they may have been thinking, hang on, this doesn't sound new at all. In Leviticus, it says, you shall love your neighbour as what? As yourself. The golden rule says, treat others as you want to be treated. So they might have been thinking, well, hang on. It doesn't sound that new. Jesus, you're running out of material. What's going on here? But no, this is very new. Because this is, this is uh, Jesus-like eyes for people. Because this one, uh, the, the, the new commandment is, love one another as I have loved you. What is the measuring stick for the first one? Self. You love others uh, 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 as you love yourself, like you love yourself. Pretty good. But the next one is, is a whole nother level because the measuring stick is who? Jesus. He says, no, I want you to love others like I have loved you. So when I saw you, when you were down and out, that's how I want you to love others. When I saw you, when you were struggling with pornography, that's how I want you to love others. When I, when I saw you, when you had addiction problems or, or anxiety problems, or, or what, when I saw you in your sin, I loved you. That's how I want you to see others. That's how I want you to love others. Culture of goodness. We want to have a culture of goodness. We need to be people-focused. Not always easy. In fact, sometimes really, really hard. But we come back to our, our, our points. Treat people as people. Invite and connect others into community, belonging. Treat people like siblings. Recognize that all people are made in the image of God. 
And lastly, develop Jesus-like eyes for people. Let's stand. And I want to pray. Father, thank you, firstly, that we are not an accident. That in fact, we have immense value and worth because we've been created in your image. Father, even though we turned our back on you, even when we were created in your image, you didn't let it rest there. You came down. Your son came down to us to save us, to rescue us, because he saw us, because he's people-focused. Thank you for that, Jesus. Father, may we be a church, the people of Lakeside. May we be a a church that is people-focused, individually and collectively. May we do this, Lord. May we treat people as people. May we actively invite and connect people into our community, into this community, so that they will belong. May we see people as siblings, treat people as siblings. Lord, that can be hard. May we be reminded that everyone's made in your image and therefore worthy of respect and dignity. And most importantly, Lord, may we wear or have your eyes, Jesus, to see the marginalised, to see the person who isn't connecting and belonging, to see the person who is hurting, to see the person who needs to be encouraged, to see the person who needs to be challenged, to see the person that needs to to be prayed for. May we develop your eyes, Jesus, so that we may be people-focused. I ask and pray this in your name. And everyone said...